where we've been. I hope you picked up the outline. It'll help you. Those of you who are, who are listening to us tonight who aren't able to be with us, as we say to you all the time, we truly do miss you. God bless you. But we are glad that you can join us tonight uh, for our time. We're going to be focused on a famous part of, um, of Philippians where we talk about the Lord Jesus and His example and His act of humility in His own uh, life on the earth for us, clear to the cross. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray together and um, do as we do on Wednesday nights. Think about someone perhaps that's on our heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is good for us to be in this place. We thank You for this church and all the boys and girls uh, running everywhere and excited to be here to hear and study God's Word, to learn the Word of God, to memorize Scripture, to hear about Jesus Christ, to learn about what it means to share the Gospel here and around the world for our students. Pray for Tim tonight. This is a very important night for them. He shares the Gospel and and extends an invitation, and we pray that there will be students who will truly be born again, uh, even tonight, and their lives will be changed. And many of us know that experience of being somewhere in our life in a youth ministry and how that youth ministry impacted us for, for forever because of the uh, spiritual impact for our for other Bible study teachers who teach tonight as well as I do and for Steve and the choir, for all the ministry life that you give us as a church, we thank you for it. We're grateful for salvation in Jesus Christ and the joy of being born again. And so now we pause and we ask, Lord, that you, someone's on our minds tonight or of some group of people. So we pause now, we present them to you in whatever their condition is. It might be someone, Lord, we met today, someone we've been talking to, someone who's lost a loved one, someone who's sick, someone who's in despair, someone who's gone back to carnality and living in sin again and away from God. We, we present them to you tonight and we ask that you might do what you need to do in their lives to, com to, to honor your name and to glorify you just for them to be saved or for them to be healed or come back and repent, whatever it may be. We ask you to do that. We want to be a people who please you by the way we present people to you and ask that your will would be done in their lives and that in the name of Jesus, God would be glorified through all that we do. So for those that we know, friends and family and strangers and all the rest, we, we present them to you now. We thank you that we can pray and speak to you uh, from earth into the glory of heaven and you hear us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we go to Philippians. What a grand and great book. You know, it's interesting. There's not Paul doesn't have one reference to the Old Testament in the book of Philippians. I've mentioned some of these things to you before, Paul. Was, these are the uh, uh, prison epistles, prison letters, and Philippians. And so Paul is in this condition of, of being immobilized in one way. So there he was in prison, and yet he made the most of it to share the gospel. So he teaches us that. So let's go back and review before we get into our outline tonight. 
I want to go back to chapter 1, just highlights again. Great famous verses that most of us in here know and most of us have memorized uh, in our life knowing who's in here tonight. We know that great verse in verse 6 of chapter 1. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So you notice the whole process here. It is this process of the Lord completing and finishing and developing us individually as believers, but also as a church. Remember, these, these words were written to the entire church. So what Paul's saying about one Christian is what he's saying about all believers. And it's true for us here in this room who are believers. He who began a good work in you, Paul had confidence in this. He wasn't with them anymore. He wasn't able to do ministry with them personally. But he who began a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And uh, then he remember those great words he gave in verse 9 about how he was praying for uh, the Philippian church. Notice how he prayed for them. This teaches us how to pray for one another in the church. And I know we, we do want to pray for those who are sick, and we do want to pray for those who are troubled and having a hard time. But notice the way Paul prayed. Verse 9, I pray that your love will abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Second time he said that. So until the day of Christ, this is what I'm praying for you. Your love will abound. And that real knowledge and discernment will come in your life. That's what we all need as believers is real knowledge and discernment so that you can approve of the things that are excellent. Um, so in order to be sincere and blameless, uh, what, a, what a joyful thing for the church to be known for being sincere and blameless, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in the next verse that, as we talked about at length, that uh, his condition, his circumstances had turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So we think about all of those who share the gospel. We think about our lives. We think about, so the Lord puts us in various kinds of circumstances and conditions, but Paul was in this hard position, but it turned out, he says, for the greater progress of the gospel. In other words, he's saying it's better for me to be in jail for the advance of the gospel than to be out of jail, which is quite an interesting thought. And isn't that wonderful to think about in our lives? So when things go hard and when it's a difficult time in your life and you wonder, can I really, am I going to bear up? Am I going to be able to be a witness for Christ? Um, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see God's people do that when they're at their, uh, at their uh, lowest point. I was, I, you know, I th I'll embarrass him. He, he, he's, so Mo, I was talking to Mo one day recently. So Mo was over there uh, at the hospital to have his, uh, I, I told him it was his heart tune-up, but he was in there doing his heart tune-up or whatever, you know, they were doing. But Mo was, you know, he, Here's an example. He turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Every, every nurse that came in there, mark it down. He asked every one of them, do you know Jesus Christ and are you saved? I love it. That's what we're supposed to do. So they were ready to turn him out of there and get him tuned up because they didn't want to keep hearing him bring that up every time. But he said it was actually really good. And a lot of those uh, young nurses 
men and women, nurses and techs. Many of them were saved and many of them knew the Lord. So it turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So think about it, all my friends in this room, uh, some of you like me who don't go quite as fast as you used to, uh, that includes thinking and remembering things quite as fast as you used to. You're in a different condition and season of life, but the Lord isn't surprised by that. It turns out that this can be for the greater progress of the gospel. So I hope that you'll find how God can use you to advance the gospel in whatever circumstances you're in. So verse 21 is another famous one. For to me, Paul's very personal in Philippians, isn't he? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is what I mentioned to you there in those verses about the two betters that make the best. If I stay here, it's better because I can advance the gospel and minister to people. Uh, but if I go to heaven, I get to be with the Lord Jesus. The two betters that make the best. And then uh, he begins to challenge them in 27. Uh, conduct yourselves as a church and as believers worthy of the gospel. So my life must count for the gospel, the, for the way in which I know Jesus Christ died for my sins according to the scriptures and He was buried and He was raised again. And so all of us, dear friends, we must remember that we must live now worthy of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins so that we might have life. And then he spends that last part of chapter 1 talking about the, the privilege that is granted to some uh, more than others to suffer for the sake of Christ. That's such an astounding verse uh, because the Philippians were struggling and also suffering as Christians, like Paul from persecution. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer uh, for His sake. And that's verse 29. Therefore, draws his conclusion here. So he's put all of this together in chapter 1, and most of us in this room know Paul and how he builds on things. Now he's building and starting to make his first application. And he reminds us uh, since there's encouragement in Christ and uh, there's consolation of love in Christ, there's fellowship of the Spirit, uh, and uh, even there's affection and compassion. All those wonderful things that we enjoy uh, from the grace of God make my joy complete. And then he starts to challenge them. And this is where we come to this very important section for all of us to think about tonight uh, regarding humility. So again, we come back to it. Two weeks ago we looked at this, and we, so I want to remind you of it. Uh, verse 2, uh, Be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. And then he focuses on uh, 3 and 4, uh, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So, let's think about this. So, we live in humility, in the humility of mind, the same attitude, he says in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, and then the sentence continues. But notice the description of humility of mind. That's what we need. Can, can you imagine the entire church, all of God's people, living this way. What would it mean to the 
to the advance of the gospel if all of God's people lived this way, if we did nothing from selfishness. Now, I know it's a tall order. I know it's a challenge. If we did nothing from uh, empty conceit, if we regarded others as more important than ourselves, and if we genuinely look out for the interests, not only our own personal interests, but also if we look out for those who are in need and uh, who need to be saved, whatever their condition, we look out for the interests of others. And that's, that's truly the way we do ministry, isn't it? So I was thinking about humility because now we come to this great section about the Lord Jesus and the mind of Christ. But before we go into that, think about this. Humility of mind. You know, there's a difference between being humbled and being humble. We all know that, right? There's a difference between being humbled. And I think all of us can think of times where we were humbled. Uh, we were humbled by uh, circumstances or troubles or difficulties. There's a difference between being humbled, humbled, uh, and being humble. And so we, we're going to spend our time tonight really just thinking deeply about humility and the importance of humility in our life. And it starts here with this attitude. Um, nothing from selfishness, nothing from pride. Uh, you know, um, I think Patty was saying something, we were talking about this the other day, and you know, you know, selfishness and pride never go away. Would you all agree with that? You've got to work on it every day. Uh, you know, the little children learn the word mine pretty quick, don't they? My, mine, you know, me. But we deal with it our entire life. And as followers of Christ, oh, the sadness when I do what I do from selfish motivation and from pride. Pride. Um, such a, it's the pride of the devil. It's, it's proud. It's, it's arrogance. It's all that goes with it. Do nothing from selfishness and pride. But focus on the others. They're more important than yourself. It's not just an idea. It's a true thought. When you see other people and when you look at them, whatever your relationship to them, you know, whoever you work with, uh, if they work, if people work for you, if you have employees, if you have, you know, your family, your husband, wife, whatever relationship, they are more important than me. They are more important than me. If I truly believe that, if I truly practice that principle, it changes the way I act toward people. If they are really more important than me, if we just check it off and say, well, that's a good idea, and I need to kind of work on that. No, this is. The challenge of Paul to this church is I'm challenging us and myself. Regard everybody else as more important than yourself. And look out for their interests. Which means, you know, if they're interested and their interests go above and before yours, you have something you think is more, more important. They think, well, guess what? Yield to their interests. This is very important in all of our relationships. So then we come to these great verses, and let's read them together. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now let's follow it through. We have this one uh, sentence that goes through verse 7, and then we have, um, then we have his conclusion coming down. Who, 
who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, bless now the reading of your word, and may the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher in these moments together. We treasure them. We know we'll never have days and moments like this again. Each time we meet is a treasured time. May we hear these words and may we take them to our soul for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, have this attitude. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, uh, three ways I want to describe this to you tonight. I want to describe verses 6 through 8. Uh, and the actions of His humility. He did not maintain His status as the eternal begotten Son of God as His treasure. I want to talk about that. Then secondly, He emptied Himself of His privileges as the eternal begotten Son of God to become a man. And then uh, He humbled Himself as a man by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. And then uh, the final focus here... uh, is Paul reminds believers here, as we've said, and he describes Christ's actions of humility. And then finally, he describes the glorification of Christ uh, for His willing, humble obedience to Him. So our focus is this, that Jesus Christ's glory was in His willing, humble obedience to God. The greatest glory of the Lord Jesus Christ was in His willing, humble obedience to God. And I've put those three words together because they're all very important from what we see here in these words, uh, in these famous verses in Philippians 2. Some uh, believe that these uh, words, uh, this part of Philippians may have been an ancient hymn. And some of your Bibles may actually set off this section in uh, a little bit different form in your Bible uh, showing that. Well, we don't know that for sure, but it would have been a great hymn. It certainly would have been. But think about these three elements. He willingly, humbly obeyed God. He willingly, humbly obeyed God. That's what I'm supposed to do. Willingly, humbly obey God. And so because of that, this is what Paul sets up for the standard of believers. It's interesting. Uh, Now Paul writes this under inspiration, so he comes to us talking about humility. Isn't it interesting what he chose to talk about here? He didn't come to talk about here the love of Christ. He could have. He didn't come here to talk about the grace of Jesus Christ, though he could have. Uh, he didn't come here. He says, here's what you have to have. Here's what you must do. You must have this attitude in you as a believer that the Lord Jesus Christ had, and it is the attitude of willing Humble obedience to God. So tonight I have to ask myself, am I living tonight willingly, humbly, and obediently to God? Whatever my circumstance. 
You know, some of you listening to me, I know the condition you're in. You talk to me about it and you're having a hard time. But you must willingly, humbly accept what you're in and obey God. You must, will, you must be willing to accept it uh, and not complain about it. You must be willing to say to the Lord, this is what you have for me and I will willingly, humbly uh, obey you in my circumstances and give thanks to you in all things for this is the will of God for, you, for me in Christ Jesus. Now, some words he uses here. Notice what he does. Verse 7, he, uh, he emptied himself. Verse 7, famous word. He, verse 8, humbled himself. So he emptied himself and humbled himself. I want you to see the words. He emptied himself. I'm emphasizing this. Are you seeing it? He emptied himself. He humbled Himself. The emphasis on this is, you and I must learn to humble ourself. Are you with me? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. This is a personal duty of every Christian. Humility. Personal humility is not an optional thing. It's, it's, a, it's a part of describing what it means to be like Jesus Christ. So I wanted to do this in an interesting way because Paul talks about, first of all, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, His eternal glory. And he describes it here, and I've added some words because it's very important. I'm trying to do a little theological teaching here for you. I'm using some phrases from John that we're studying in John on Sunday mornings. But they're important words that everybody needs to understand about the Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. The glory of the Trinity is not three gods. The glory of the, of the triune God is it is God, one God, Father, Son, Spirit. And so the way in which God is described, remember God is above time, He is beyond time, uh, eternal, uh, from age to age, never ending, never had a beginning, never has an ending. You know, uh, this is important. Uh, force remember what is it that revelation says holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was who is who is to come thrice holy god so we come to see this where paul describes this glory of the lord jesus his eternal glory who although he existed in the form of god you know there there's not he wasn't a sub god he wasn't something that was made out of God. No, He is God. He is the begotten Son of God. Eternally begotten. And I've used this language very important. It's very important. Uh, this group's pretty sophisticated. I'll use the language. So it's, it's called eternal, eternal regener it's called eternal generation of the Son. So it is that in the, in the magnificence and mystery of the Godhead, of, of our God, as Father, Son, Spirit, we have this glorious reality that God is a Father and He is eternally begotten Son and Holy Spirit. These, these magnificent qualities, same God, one essence, but we have these uniqueness of persons that come out. And when I say person, we think of a person as an individual, like we separated up. Yes, they did their work, they had a mission. There's a lot to be said about the triune God that we worship. The glory of our Father, of singing praise to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, so, 
here we see the glory of the Lord Jesus. He was equal with God. So I'm just repeating now what we went through Sunday in our study of the Truly Trulys in John. Look at it there on your notes. The glory of Jesus Christ is His equality with God. He was, he's the eternally begotten Son of God. By the way, always eternally begotten. Always eternally begotten. You see, He did not maintain His status as the eternally begotten Son of God as His treasure or prize. He did not, he did not maintain His status. He did not hold on to... This is the idea of verse 7, of 6. Although He existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, this is my... This is, this is, I am, because I am God and glorious in all it means to be God, He did not regard that because of His work that He must do on the earth as the Son of God. So the glory of the Lord Jesus is true. So what did the Lord say to the Jews who didn't believe? I'm just repeating what we talked about Sunday. John 5, 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. This is that equality uh, within God. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son, shows Him all things that He Himself is doing, and the Father will show Him greater works than these, so that you may marvel. And then He goes on. For just as the Father raises the dead, gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So we see first of all, and we're spending a lot of time on that on Sunday mornings, describing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as Son of God. Not only in what He did, through those miracles that He did that, that uh, demonstrated He was sent from God, but in His words. In His words. That's why we're spending time on the truly trulys. Secondly, He emptied Himself. So, although He existed in the form of God, eternally in God's glory and, and, and fully God, He emptied Himself. This is the, now we begin to see His mission. The mission of the Son of God. <clears throat> The Word, how did John say it? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld, we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John 1.14. It's one of those famous verses most of us learn. We teach the children that verse. He empties Himself though. Oh, this is an important word. It means to lay aside. It means to set aside privilege. He emptied Himself. He took the form of a bondservant and He was made in the likeness of men. So now let's look at this for a moment. The humility of Jesus Christ is that He took a title. He took an important title that the Jewish world knows and most of us have learned it. Why did Jesus Christ call Himself Son of Man? Well, that's a really important question. Uh, he, he describes Himself as Son of Man. I've given you some examples here. Uh, first of all, let's think about the utter humiliation of God becoming a man. The utter humiliation. The complete laying aside of all privilege and becoming a, a, a creature. Remember, the Lord Jesus now is fully God and fully man. This is the mystery of who He is. Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin 
engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Behold, now I jump down. Here's what the angel says. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Yeshua, Jesus. Uh, he goes on, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. What an unbelievable verse this is to describe the very act of Mary uh, having the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming pregnant. Here it is. The Holy Spirit of God comes on you, and the power of the Most High overshadows you. And then this Holy Child is called the Son of God. But you go back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was called the son of man. And all, in fact, probably the, the most, uh, the, the greatest amount of times, Isaiah uses it some, Jeremiah a few times, Ezekiel is son of man. The entirety of his ministry, God speaks to him, son of man, son of man, son of man. So I've picked only at the beginning of Ezekiel's ministry. Remember, Ezekiel is among the exiles. Jeremiah was with Jeremiah was in Jerusalem with the, exile, uh, with the rest of the Jews who hadn't been hauled off to Babylon yet. Think about this now. Jeremiah, if you read your Bible, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are parallel in time. Jeremiah is talking to those who are still in uh, Jerusalem. There's not much left. Babylonians are hauling them off. Uh, and uh, they do some terrible things to them if you read Jeremiah and Lamentations to the ones who remain. And then Ezekiel's with the, with the exiles. And you know what the exiles say over and over? It's not our fault. Our fathers did it. It's our fathers' fault. Well, I'm going to chase a rabbit here so I'm going to not get on that. That sounds like a bunch of people in the world today, doesn't it? It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's these people's fault. It's the... Anyway. So, Ezekiel 3.4 Then he said to me, and this is very important, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak... My words to them. Notice this. And this is why I come back to this over and over. And uh, I know it's like a broken record, but I must repeat it. Because this is, uh, this is the mission of the Lord Jesus. So what did we read uh, week after week? And we'll continue to. John chapter 1, verse 18. Let me read it. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. And then I also give you, uh, you know, this very important fact that when you consider what the Lord is called in John, He's called the Word. He speaks the Word of God. Jesus Christ speaks the Word of God, and so He is the Son of Man. It's this humble, born of man. Yes, it also means that He was born of man. He's, he's, he's human. He's the Son of Man. But then you go to Daniel. Daniel shows us the glorious side of the Son of Man who will be the judge of all. Notice this, Daniel 7, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, this is in Daniel's dream, which by the way overwhelmed him, and he kept it to himself, if you read Daniel 7. And was presented before him, and to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, men of every language might serve Him. Look at this. Here's the dominion of the Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. 
the Lord Jesus Christ called Himself the Son of Man. What did the Lord say? John 3.13. I have these verses here for you. No one ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. Notice, the Son of Man. The Lord Jesus gives Himself the most humble of titles. The Son of Man. Just as the Son of Man, Matthew 20, 28, did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. There's a verse we've all memorized. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. And then finally, the Lord speaks of the end, when judgment comes, which is given to Him. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. So what have we learned so far? Paul's describing for us the, the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ... What is this, what is this uh, the nature of humility? Are you with me? It means that you don't hold on to your titles and your status. It means that you give up your titles and status to being the most important, to being the first to being the center of everything. You give it up. You lay it aside. You empty yourself. You, you step outside of the selfishness that you're born into. We're born into this world holding on to our toys, grasping for everything we can have, but an act of humility, being like Christ, is that I no longer treasure my status. Uh, where I was born, what I have, what I've achieved, what I've accomplished, what I own, how much money I have. How many kids? I mean, whatever it may be, whatever the status may be, we lay it aside and then we empty ourselves and we live in humility. And notice this now, he became obedient. Let's read this. He uh, emptied himself, verse 7, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. Please notice how Paul links this phrase. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now we're hitting at it. What does it mean? How do you, how do you humble yourself? I hope you're listening. You obey God. You do what the Lord says. That takes humility. That takes humility. You have to, he obeyed to the point of death. He obeyed completely. He humbled Himself by obedience. So think about for a moment, this, this idea of He humbled Himself, I gave you the note up there from the Greek word. It's, the idea of this Greek word is it's to bring low. It's an act of stooping, bowing. It's voluntary. Uh, the text, the, 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 word, the verb is used in such a way that it implies it's voluntary. This is a voluntary act. So when, I come to, when we come to apply this in just a moment about what it means to be like Jesus Christ in humility, we don't, we not, we're not obedient to the death of the cross for, sin, for the sake of dying for sins, but we are called to die to ourselves and to take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus as an act of obedience. That means you give up your own privileges. That means you give up your own priorities. That means you give up your own desires. That means you choose to do what the Lord tells you to do and you go wherever He tells you to go. And you do whatever He says for you to do and you honor and, and you do it regardless of what it costs you. So John 12, 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Now that's in uh, John 12 where uh, this group knows. That's, remember, that's, the, uh, that's Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. That's the triumphal entry. The Lord is going into Jerusalem and everybody's shouting Hosanna. Why, the, the Greeks are even coming. They want to see uh, Jesus. They come to Andrew. Hey, we want to see Jesus. And just as soon as they come and say that, and then it says <laughs> that His enemies, the Pharisees say in John 12, the whole world has gone to Him. It's too late. And then the Lord says this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And you know what that meant? The cross. That meant the cross. Therefore, when He had left, this is Judas, uh, when He had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. Uh, what did we learn when our long march through Hebrews? Some of you have marched a lot of way with me, haven't you? We've marched through a lot of places in these years. We studied the book of Hebrews in detail. Although He was a son, He learned obedience from the things which He suffered. This is speaking about the Lord Jesus. Even the Lord Jesus in His humanity learned obedience from what He suffered. So someone says, why am I going through all these trials? Why am I going through all this suffering? I thought if I got saved, it was like, you know, as I say to you, floating down the river and the birds feeding you food and you just have a glorious time. And the clouds never come and the sun shines all the time and it's perfectly 70 degrees and it's glorious. Well, because we need suffering in our life. Because it helps us to understand how to obey God. Uh, he, he says in Hebrews 10.9, this obscure statement from the Psalms, Behold, I have come. These are the words of the Lord Jesus in the Psalm. I have come, and they're picked up by Paul in Hebrews. Behold, I have come to do your will. What a statement. That's what the Lord said. I am on the earth to do one thing. I have come to do your will. I ask you tonight, are you willing to say that? That's not just for preachers and missionaries. That's just not for super spiritual people. All of God's people must be able to say, I have come to do your will. What do you want me to do? For the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. You see, there it is. It's this act of obedience. I only do what I see. I only do what He says for me to say. And then finally you have John 10, 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me. Please look at this language in John 10. This is voluntary. In other words, nobody's taken my life from me. I'm voluntarily laying it down on my own initiative. And I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. And this is the commandment I received from my Father. So what happens? From all of this that the Lord Jesus did, and oh, the glory of Him dying on the cross. Amen. We've spent months on that. It is finished. For this reason, for this reason that He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, He emptied Himself and took the form of a bondservant. Being found in the appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient. For this reason, God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. John 5, 27, He gave Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. We're going to talk about that this week on Sunday. 
Acts 7.56. What did Stephen see as they were pelting him with stones? Remember the brutality of that. Remember the brutality. We read this in the Bible. It's almost like it becomes a a, a pretend-like story. They were pounding his brain in with rocks. And as he is being pounded to death in front of them, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, he says, standing at the right hand of God. He's highly exalted. The Lord Jesus is exalted. We know He ascended in the presence of the disciples. And then in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and wrapped around the chest with a golden sash. You see, God has highly exalted Jesus Christ. God has given Him the greatest name of all names. God has given Him, and that's why we tell His name. I continue to tell, I've been talking to a lot of our younger men and I've been challenging them. When you witness, don't just say, oh good, have a blessed day, be blessed. Say the name of Jesus Christ. Say the name, don't be ashamed of the name of our Lord. It's the greatest name of all. The demons cringe when the name is said. The demons bow. They know what's going to happen to them. They know. So, Declare the name of Jesus. God has given Him authority as Lord over all mankind. All mankind from all generations will bow and confess Jesus as Lord. So what do we need to remember tonight? Well, an attitude of humility leads to acts of humility. This is the first principle I want you to see. I want to apply this for a moment. If I don't have an attitude of humility, uh, I will never... I will never do acts of humility. You know, you can do acts of humility and not be humble. Did you know that? I don't, did you catch what I just said? You can do things that seem like they're humble things, but be very proud in doing them. No, we, we're looking for a combination of humility that leads to acts of humility. They come out of us because of our, our attitude has been changed, our mind. We have the mind of Christ. Uh, What a glory to think of Christ's great humility. Tonight, perhaps as you go home tonight and you go to bed, think about it. How how faithful, what what a way to say it, Paul says in verse 8. He became obedient to the point of death. He obeyed to the very end. Consider what it took for Jesus Christ. uh, Consider what the Lord Jesus Christ had to do so that we might be saved. And then, living in Christ-like humility honors the Lord Jesus. And only the humble will obey God. Only the humble will obey God. I want to give you something tonight uh, before, before we look at the use of these things. I want you to look, I'll just read it to you. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse number 5, 6, and 7. Uh, li- listen to this. Um, he's wrapping up and Peter says uh, something interesting here. He says to younger men, be subject to your elders. Uh, But then he says, and all of you. He puts this little phrase in here. This is 1 Peter 5, 5. All of you. So in other words, he's saying, now this is for all of you believers, not just young, but old and everybody in between. Look at this now. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore... Here it is. Humble 
yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now let's go back up here. i got to do something with you. This is where it's hard when you're English readers and you read this, it's, it's, um, it's not as clear. So I'll be a little technical for a moment here. So he says, so he uses a Greek word here, clothe yourself. It's not the word for clothing, actually. It is, um, uh, um, it's a word that means to make a knot. It was a word that came to be a phrase, ingomada. It's a Greek word, ingomada. Well, the, the ingomada, now this is good for you to hear. The ingomada was actually a white apron that every slave was required to wear. The ingomada. And Peter is sending a message here, and I want to send it to us. Put on your white apron. Clothe yourself with humility. Not, and you see, they were required to wear it. Because it showed in the ancient world, who are the, now, you know, we might say, well, that's just cruelty. That's not like America. Well, it wasn't America. Okay? And, you know, America has its own issues. So before we get on the ancient world, <clears throat> they tied this around them so that all the free people, okay, they're slaves and I'm free. That's the whole point. It was the mark of slavery. The white apron. So what do you men need to do to your wives? Go home, put on the white apron. What do we need to do to one another in this church? Put on the white apron. What does it say over there when the Lord first got to the upper room? He girded Himself. And what did He do? What did He do? He washed their nasty feet. Who would ever sign up for that job? Can you imagine? Put on the apron. Put on the white apron. The white apron is the apron that describes servanthood. It is the apron of servants. And that's what the beauty of this phrase is that Peter's saying here. Clothe yourself with it. Put it on. This is the mark that shows that we are, we are truly Christ's people. And as you clothe yourself with humility, then guess what you do? You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God with your apron on. <laughs> I love that, don't you? Now that means, okay, can you see it? I have my apron on. I'm living in humility. And basically the next step is, what do you want me to do? That's what a slave says. That's what a slave says. So, measure your humility by Christ, not by your neighbor. You know, don't compare, well, am I more humble than my husband or wife? That'll never get you anywhere. <clears throat> your wife's always more humble than you are, so just mark it down. <laughs> Honey, I love you. I know she's listening, so I just wanted to say, you're more humble than I am. Obey like Jesus Christ obeyed. And deny yourself and put others first. You know Proverbs 15.33 has got it in the right order. Proverbs 15.33 Before honor is humility. Before honor is humility. 
So what you need to do, let me see, it's a little early tonight. We're getting out a little bit beforehand. <clears throat> what you need to do is go by Walmart on your way home, buy each other a white apron. That'll be good. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We think about Peter writing those words, probably the most arrogant, proudest of the apostles. <laughs> think about the arrogance of Peter. I'm just like him. So, tonight, Tonight, humble us. May we see our sinfulness. And Your mercy. And may we willingly, not because we're forced to it, but may we willingly humble ourselves before You and stoop with our apron on and humbly serve others because they are more important than we. Help us to be a humble church. Help us to be Humble people in a world of arrogance and pride and everybody demanding their right. And help us to exhibit Christ-likeness in our thinking and in our words and in our ways. Teach us from Your Word and we thank You for it. Your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We hide Your Word in our hearts that we might not sin against You. Now we pray that You would make these words come alive in our heart and have this, may we have this attitude in us which was also in Christ Jesus. And we, Lord, we thank You for Your absolute humility and willing, humble obedience and faithfulness to do the will of God completely so that we might be saved. And to the glory of God and to the salvation of millions more before Jesus comes again. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Go get your apron on. Marcus, go to the house. Tell Abby. When you put it on, she says, what are you doing? I say, I'm just putting on my apron like I'm supposed to do.